Welcome to Eureka Thinker Talk, where we chat with thinkers who are turning ideas into reality. This show is powered by Baron Fig, a company making tools for thinkers. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and today I'm here with Ben Walters, entrepreneur, GM, and head of strategic partnerships at Hopper. Ben, thanks for joining. It's a pleasure to have you. Oh, my pleasure, Mark. It's it's always a blast getting to chat, and this time we'll have it recorded. What's the difference? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's always the, the benefit of these shows. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many different areas where we could go, but I, I figured just for people that may not know what Hopper is, why don't yeah. you just give a quick breakdown on, on what the company is all about, and then we can jump into uh, that lovely mind of yours. For sure. Um, yeah, so Hopper at its core is a travel app. So you go on to Hopper, we help you with the trip planning process. And our goal is always to help customers and travelers save money. And you can book flights, hotels, rental cars, all directly through the mobile app. We're actually mobile only today, meaning you can't book with Hopper on the web, which was a conscious decision our CEO took like six years ago when we built, which was, it was pretty crazy to do back then, but now is looking like a better and better decision as we really just like optimize for this one channel. Um, but the truth is that the cool part about Hopper is that we always, I always describe us as more an amalgamation of a bunch of different little startups than it is like a 300 person company. And so calling us just a travel app is just selling us short in so many ways because we really have yeah. teams working on so many different things. And so my team, Hopper Cloud, as we're calling ourselves, is really the B2B initiative and thinking about how we can add value to both travel companies as well as companies that have large audiences that want to book travel to be able to book travel smarter, save money, and, and make that a seamless experience. So yeah, that, that's Hopper. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I've personally used it uh, in the past and you get kind of addicted to checking in with Hopper, to be, to be honest, because yeah. I mean, it's so well done in the sense of like, okay, this is the window or this is the predicted window when you should book. And why don't, why don't you just like briefly for just for to sure. visualize like what it's all about and then uh, I'll move on from that. I no, just no, of course. To check it out. Yeah, so we originally... Um, came into popularity because of our ability to predict the price of flights. And so yeah. what we can do is we can predict the future price of a flight with 96% accuracy. And so that's not telling you how much it is to book on any given day. It's telling you when the best time to book actually is. And so what that looks like is when you go drop into the Hopper app, you perform a search, let's say you're going Toronto to New York City, and it says it's $250. We've got a bunch of AI in the background that will look at what's going to happen to the price of that flight. And we will very often tell you, hey, Mark, you know what? The price is going to go down in the future. So set up what we call a watch notification. We will notify you when the price hits a floor that it is worth buying at. And so you set up a notification. We notify you in two weeks saying, hey, the price dropped to 220 This is a great price. Go ahead and buy. And what we're doing now is building some really cool finance... Um, financial services products on top of that data set. And so in many ways, we're more of a fintech company today than we are a travel company because of our focus on really eliminating price volatility and, and providing peace of mind to travelers. And so if you can imagine one of the really cool things we're working on right now, which is going to be called Time Warp, is instead of just notifying you of when you should buy in the future, 
why don't we just sell you that price today that doesn't actually exist? And so very soon in the future, you'll pop into the Hopper app, you'll search Toronto, New York, it will be $250. And we'll say, you know what, we see a better price coming in the future, buy it now for $215 through Hopper. And we will actually just go ahead and automatically ticket that when the price drops. And if not, we'll take on the, the financial risk. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, really cool. We're, we're wow. excited about that one. And there's a lot of really cool things we're doing. The ability to freeze the price of flights, to make flights fully refundable and changeable. Uh, we just know that customers want two things. They want to save money and they want, to, they want flexibility when it comes to travel. And, and quite honestly, booking an air ticket can be a pain when it comes to changes, cancellations, who do you deal with and, and how <laughs> yeah. to deal with it. And so we're really focused on, on yeah, alleviating those two pain points. So, I mean, ob- the obvious elephant in the room uh, on this one is like, I'm curious, how, <laughs> how, yeah. how has this pandemic like blown up the algorithms? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, the predictability was probably, there's just like years and years worth of data. And then all of a sudden uh, COVID happens and it's like, everything changes. Yeah, of course. So, how did, yeah, like how did you guys react to that? That's why I'm curious. Yeah, about. so at the beginning, it was definitely very scary. It was just like a huge unknown. No one knew what it was going to look like. Um, and our leadership is experienced. And so they did a difficult thing and they said, hey, you know what we need to do is we need to cut back. And so we, we went through um, a, a layoff, which again is not fun for any company. But what we did is we did it very quickly. And we also did it to the point where we knew that we would be able to last for the foreseeable future, meaning that no one had to continue to be worried about job security after that. And so everyone who was left was really able to like look to the future, which was an important thing um, in that sort of scary time zone or that scary time frame. Um, but what happened at that point is everything just got better and better very quickly. And so everything from the fact that we were recovering faster than the industry, and listen, it we got hit hard. We got hit like everyone else did. But we, we got hit less hard because of our focus on helping customers sort of alleviate, um, yeah, again, pain points around price volatility as well as um, around flexibility. And so offering customers flexibility that they couldn't find elsewhere meant that people were more comfortable coming to us when it came time to book that travel which happened to lead to a faster recovery than the rest of the industry. And we've then been able to utilize sort of some of that recovery to be able to build, again, uh, B2B facing functionality that we can now sell to partners to help them get out of this sort of dip that everyone is experiencing. Mm. In terms of your direct question with the algorithms, um, the truth is that Believe it or not, behind airline pricing is still a bunch of human beings who open and close fare classes. So there's 26 flare classes that each have a letter and people sit in a room usually on Tuesday mornings, which is why like prices are actually generally lower on on Mondays or Tuesdays. Um, and they decide there's, what... There's what, a method to that yeah, magic. I, yeah, actually. And what, what fare classes wow. they're going to open and close. And what we've seen is while pricing overall has definitely come down because at the end of the day airlines need to fill their planes. They've come down in a very um, with a pattern, and that pattern is still very detectable by our algorithm's ability to predict what is going to happen. And so while we've had to change our baseline, how prices change is generally a very similar pattern to how they changed 18 months ago. And therefore, our algorithms have served well. There was a period of a couple months where like everything, no one knew what was going to happen, but largely our accuracy has remained in the in the 90s and above and has continued to um, 
um, yeah, help customers, again, save money during this strange time. You know, like what comes to mind when when you're describing the, the whole scenario is just like, and I think this is what's applicable to really anything is obviously none of us knew what was going to happen. We probably couldn't have predicted, uh, you know, how severe and, and how long we've been dealing with this. But at the end, of, like you did, you guys didn't panic, right? right? Like you, you took a step back, made some adjustments and yep. I mean, seems like things are going okay or they're they're getting better and um from our past talk seems like things are growing as well which is which is fantastic yeah for sure and so again going back to that moment where it's like okay very scary we need to do something about it we need to act very quickly we acted quickly took that swoop everyone then was able to turn to the future and what happened then has been actually quite magical we're, we're not just doing okay like so april is not closed yet but i can talk to march our March revenue was two and a half times higher than it was in March 2020, which is mind blowing. And there's, a, Insane, there's right? so many questions of like, how is that possible? And we can talk about all that. But what really happened is everyone. So, firstly, people say innovation. Um, sorry, frugality breeds innovation. There's there's truth to that. And when the teams are smaller um, and you have a little bit less resourcing, you get scrappier and just find ways to get things done. And our ability to turn to the future and start to think about the future, it also came with a little bit of space. Instead of thinking about um, all of our customers traveling and servicing those customers and, and dealing with the very day-to-day -day activity, that the operational activity that comes with like running a company, we got to think a little bit more, have a little bit more space and be a little bit more creative about what the future could look like and how we could help shape what that future was going to look like. And so some of the coolest things that have come out of Hopper have come out of Hopper in the last like 10, 11 months um, in the midst of this, what you can call Valley. And we are now just starting to, to reap the benefits of all that hard work that the, the team has put in. That's cool. That's really yeah. cool. What, like, just from a thought process standpoint, like what, what has that looked like? Is it, you guys just kind of step back? Was it some individual thinking or some like yeah. kind of group brainstorm? Like how, how do you guys do that? Yeah, it's a good question. So the way that we do it at Hopper is, is an interesting approach. We call it single-threaded ownership. And so what that looks like is we actually... Um, we build our entire org around like eight to 12 person teams. And those eight to 12 person teams have a leader to them. And those teams are solely responsible for one thing. And that leader mm -hmm. is given all of the resourcing they need to be able to achieve success for their specific initiative. So let's talk about an example with like B2B, just as an example. So in order to pull off B2B, you need like business development, you need a bunch of engineers, you need some data scientists, you need a product manager. So our team is that right now. We're about like, again, 10 people that are focused just on B2B. We're going to double and triple and quadruple, but we're going to still... What's going to happen as we grow is we're going to have to find ways to keep building ourselves into these smaller teams because we believe that um, in a, our speed and cadence comes from being very focused on one thing and then being able to have the impact and influence on that thing. So instead yeah. of being a matrix organization where everyone's sort of making these decisions and decisions go up this ladder, there is no hierarchy. We make decisions incredibly quickly. We move very quickly and we can also do multiple things at once because there's different people who are solely responsible for one thing instead of someone trying to do a couple things sitting off the corner of their desk. Mm. 
And so how that relates back to your question about like innovation is we've had someone who's responsible for thinking about relieving price volatility. There's one person who's responsible for thinking about flexibility in fares and changing fares. One person who's thinking about um, how to make cancellations easier. One person who's thinking about customer support. One person who's thinking about B2B. And amongst our teams, while there's a little bit of collaboration across sort of like leaders across the organization, most of the innovation comes from that leader actually collaborating with their team, their cross-functional team, and thinking about, again, they wake up, they live and breathe that one sort of thing that they're focused on. And so that allows that person to come at it from so many different angles and also understand it so in depth. Like in order to innovate, you need to understand a problem deeply. Um, And so because we have these sort of subject matter experts that understand that topic and then they're given the the freedom and autonomy to think about how to really like move the needle um it's a it's a pretty special recipe yeah that is cool it's um there's so many cool like different recipes that that companies use i mean but that that one is really unique is is there like what's the software behind that like how do you guys yeah. keep that organized yeah there it's madness is, is the short <laughs> answer um what i would say though is is our our ceo fred likes to say um we good intentions are great but at the end of the day good intentions don't produce results mechanisms do and so what we have is we have a couple sort of checkpoints along the way in when it comes to hiring a new person or or requesting more headcount when it comes to investing in a new thing. We have um, a few little processes here and there that are standardized across the company so that we all at least are speaking the same language. It's not software though. It's like an Excel sheet, which is a roadmap, we call it, which is like, hey, what are you going to accomplish and which KPIs are you going to be able to achieve? As well, the, the most interesting one is long form writing actually so anything that you want to do at hopper actually gets written in long form in what we call a narrative you always we always work backwards from the customer at the end of the day that's how we think about everything that we do is who's our customer let's think backwards from how this is going to add value to that customer of course there's generally like a business case um, piece of it but at the end of the day if you want to start a new initiative at hopper you have to write it out in two to three pages on like a literally like a microsoft word because we think that slides hide too much and they're too glossy and, and fancy but they don't it. actually yeah they don't actually get to what what you're really trying to do and so um yeah th- those narrative docs are, are really the the software quote unquote behind everything that we do so is it like kind of i've only ever heard of like you know kind of write the press release before you start the project is it kind of like yeah. that mentality yeah, exactly and then it's just... a very amazonian thing that um th- they do a lot of this and, and jeff bezos is like famously gotten rid of powerpoint at amazon so we've definitely taken a lot from from that ethos um but yeah that's exactly right there's a pr faq as, as we call it which is like one of the first things that comes out of it and and honestly in april of 2020 i was writing that narrative for what was then called hopper as a service which we now call hopper cloud which is this b2b initiative about how we should be thinking about um, building out sort of a partnership muscle and org to be able to distribute so much of the cool functionality we built and now again like i said our team is 10 but we have two partnerships that have their own teams and so the, the team there's now 60 people working on all this b2b stuff that started with like a crazy word doc like in the midst of april 2020 pandemic so yeah it, it's cool to see how quickly things can happen well as you know personally that you know i'm pretty obsessed with reflection and writing yeah, <laughs> so definitely. this is kind of music to my ears but yeah. i think what you know when you're as you're describing the, the whole scenario um 
just a lot of people don't go or don't take the time to actually, the, the time that would be required to actually write something like exactly. that out that you would then like step back and say, okay, well, does this make sense? Like we can all easily throw some things on a slide exactly. pretty fast, right? This exactly. like forces and, you to pause and, and you think. Can just, you can sniff bullshit so quickly in long form. Like when, when you're reading a yeah. long form doc, you're like, you haven't thought through this. Like, like the, you start seeing people jump around with their logic. It's not fully like rational. It hasn't been thought through. And when you read a narrative on the other hand, that has been thought through that the energy has gone into it, that someone's poked really deep, understood the customer pain point, looked at the data and brought all those things together. It is very clear. But what's interesting is, is, and, and I'm actually fascinated by this largely right now is like how simplicity is actually what takes time, energy and real expertise. Like mastery is being able to take a really complex subject and simplify it into terms that everyone that resonate with everyone. And I think the narrative long form doc is really good at that is like the, the bungle jungle, like long words. And like, you just can't hide behind that when you really are laying out a, a again, like a, a thousand words about, about why we should be sort of focused on something new. Yeah, that's cool. So just jumping to you a little bit more in- individually, you went through this process, obviously, as you just mentioned, and, and pitched one of the the ideas that you're working or your team's working on. Like for you personally, like what's, how do you tackle uh, a new project or thinking of this stuff? Like what, what are some of the things that you're doing to keep your mind, uh, or I guess bring your, your mind to a clear place so that you can release these ideas essentially and see how you want it to, to map out. Yeah, there's, oh, there's so many, so many different ways to answer that question from a, d- a couple of different angles, but let's try to piece it up or pa- unpack a little bit. So um, first, like you were talking about, like creativity comes from space. Like y- you need space and clarity. It's the reason people like always have great thoughts in the showers. Cause you're, you're sort of just like, not, you can't think about anything. You can't distract yourself. It's just like yeah. water hitting your head. And, and so you, most of my good ideas come from non-work time. It like like trying to force the creative thoughts and the good ideas. That's a really really hard yeah. thing to do, and so that just means that you naturally need to give yourself space. Working fourteen hours a day, it's really hard to come up with novel, out of the box ideas. And so finding a way to have that balance and give yourself space. I think everyone has different ways of doing that. I I now love going for long walks. I actually notoriously used to not like walking which is crazy but um and now it's just one of my favorite things to do and i'm close to high park here in toronto and so there's no better place to get some good ideas let's Um, stick with the walk because i've been doing them too and i've been experimenting with different things historically i would i'd like cram in a podcast or something or then i was like ah you know what i won't do podcasts i'll just do music and then now it's like nothing and i'm just trying to literally be present with the footsteps like here and smell like the i'm, I'm totally. near a forest as well and, and yeah. whatnot but uh yeah so i'm fascinated to see like how other people are doing this as well yeah i went through the exact same transition as you is like it used to be okay podcast or audiobook same, same yeah. sort of thing totally. um, and then it's like oh you know what like let, let's do music like i think music <laughs> seems a little bit more balanced but even that it can sort of just take your mind away it depends what yeah. what kind of music I to do nothing. I, I prefer nothing, and I do love going for walks with my wife too. She she's also like we're we're on the similar wavelength where we know how to poke and prod each other in all the right ways to like get those creative juices flowing. But when I go on a walk by myself, it is always just with nothing in my ear. 
Um, I also I also love doing like walking meetings, which right now in yeah. Toronto is a little bit tricky. But um, as often as possible, when I can step away from my desk and not do a Zoom meeting, but actually like pl- plug in the AirPods or whatever and go for a walk and take a meeting, I find my mind just works so much better. Yeah. Um, when yeah, I don't know what it is. That there has to be some cool research around that because like there, I am a hundred percent sure that my mind works in a different, more creative way when I just like have the blood flowing. Um, yeah. 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 I think so. I mean, I, I would say it's, you know, well, it's like, like any type of exercise, like you're just, you're, you're firing up your biology at the same right. time. Right. And, right. and I'd imagine, uh, you know, just a change in environment and scenery and stuff like that is, is also helpful. And for sure. And frankly, we spend so much time sitting or in one place, yeah. especially, you know, now with everything being remote as well, like even the smallest things, right. Where you'd like, I don't go to, uh, I think you guys were in a co-working space, right? In Toronto, yep. like, you know, you go to the common area to grab a coffee or something, like you actually move around where it's yeah. like, there's not that much going on when you're at home. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's tough. And, and honestly, I think that creativity is probably, um, dropped off a little bit too. I, I don't think it's a great thing for, for anyone. Um, yeah, it, it will be. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't wait to get back to an office. But like now, I see it differently. It's like three days a week probably makes sense for me. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Um, yeah. And so just back to the question of like other ways. Like I, I love paper and pen. Um, like to me, like writing an idea. Like I, I'm not gonna write a full long form narrative on on with paper <laughs> yeah. and pen. Like like no way. My hand hurts after like just yeah. writing one card. Um, yeah, but I, I know do, you're a fan of the products of Baron Fig, but I yes. mean, you don't have to go that far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do start, I do like to start with paper and pen, a bunch of like random circles and maybe some cowboy math numbers and, and that sort of stuff. The other okay. thing is you need to have a safe space. Um, and listen, I'm, I'm one of those people that really hate meetings and I cut as many meetings out as possible. But when you're in the sort of creative part of the process, um, it's important to have like agendaless meetings with people who come from different perspectives, an engineering perspective, a product perspective, a data perspective, and create a safe space where everyone can just throw ideas out there. There's no hierarchy of ideas based on like what people's backgrounds or seniority is. And so yeah. those sort of like, again, it's hard to create that. It's hard to be like, hey, every month we're all going to get together and think about good ideas. Like, I think that's a hard way to innovate, but there is something there and, and I don't actually have the recipe for it. Um, the last thing, and I think this is the most important one for me, and this is what I love and where I get all my energy from, is is the really fun dance of customer discovery and selling. And so hmm. like that is where I'm in my happy place is where I have an, a, a rough outline of an idea, a hypothesis about how we can add value to this other company. And if you can find the right person and get in with the right person and go in with, again, the outline of your ideas, but not, not the details all figured out and ask as many questions as you answer, yeah. um, it's an amazing way to be able to, again, put yourself into a potential customer's shoes, understand what pain points they really have, and then be able to map what you know about what you can offer to that, to that problem. And so those calls, if I can have as many of those calls as possible, I like so many more great ideas come because like, again, you're getting much closer to the customer. It's really hard to be able to put yourself into a customer's shoes sitting in a boardroom with a bunch of people. And so, um, yeah, yeah, getting out there and speaking to people is, is for me the best way to like sort of get the creative juices flowing. 
Well, and it, it's, I mean, we, we share some similar, uh, functions or, or t- tasks, I guess you will in, in, in yeah. our, in our roles. And I find like there you're, you nailed it. There's such a, a fine balance because you, it's like, you don't want to go into those meetings, like wide open, no right. kind of let's just brainstorm. Cause then right. it's like, typically the, the other people they are just like lost and it doesn't go anywhere, Yeah, but you don't want to be go, go so detailed that you're proposing like this exact solution. Cause then right. it's like, ah, oh, that doesn't fit. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. No thanks type thing, but it's exactly, it's tricky to find that balance of like, let's just stimulate the conversation and to your point, ask the questions to learn and then it can start shaping. Right. Totally. Yeah. And, um, and honestly, like I'm that, that is what I have found through trial and error that like, that's yes, where my yeah. skill set lies that like, that's what I'm best at is like, I love that dance. Um, yeah. and it, and it just, it, you also know when you're good at something, when it, when it energizes you, you just get, I get so much energy from it. Like I, I could do that all day. Like, yeah, all day, every day and just be a really happy person. Obviously that can't be all of my job. You got to go figure out how to actually, actually get things done and, and bring, and bring some revenue in. But, um, but that's yeah. definitely my happy place. That's cool. Um, the other thing uh, that came to mind when you're just explaining like some of these brainstorm meetings and stuff that uh, something we've been doing at, at the company as well is just using language like imagine if mm-hmm. and and cool. just because I feel like as soon as you have as soon as you include those two words, all of a sudden all limits and all mm-hmm. rules have gone out, out, out of the equations because it's like, oh, we're just imagining now. Right. So like anything's possible, but at least it opens up the dialogue within the team, like, imagine if we could do this. Okay. Well, really like, well, you know, what would that look like then? Or, or what do we need to do to have that play out type thing? Yeah. And it's amazing how such subtle things, like just like how you position the start of a sentence can just change people's brain chemistry and have a completely different outcome. I, I totally believe that. And I'll start trying it. Yeah. Cool. I want to shift gears a little bit because I want to respect your time, but just, um, for you day to day, staying productive, organized, efficient, like what's, uh, what's your setup? How how do you do that? Yeah. It's it's a good question. Um, I, man, I, I have ebbed and flowed a lot through the pandemic. Um, what I have kept coming back to, and I think we, we spoke about this is like, I need to I need to hold myself accountable. That's the hardest thing to do is like holding yourself accountable. It's like similar to what Fred was saying about our company is like good intentions don't produce great results. It's like good like you need mechanisms. It's like I need to create the right mechanisms for myself to hold myself accountable. Um, to me, watching myself write something out, like I, I speaking of Baron thing, and I, this is not a plug to anyone listening. <laughs> I swear, I, I, I bought the the James Clear Habit Journal, and so. I, I got into like a rut. Uh, listen, we all get into ruts or at least I do. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say everyone we're does. We're like, yeah, I just, I wasn't on my, like, I like to do some daily stretching in the morning and in the evening. I like to do, get meditation going. Like I, I like to be pretty daily with those things. And sometimes they just fall off and it's like, I don't know, it's probably like nine, 10 days of like nothing. That's just how it happens. Like we're such momentum creatures. And so what I do is I turn to James Clear, I pull out a habit journal. I say, okay, I'm starting today. And I'm again, like you have to be compassionate with yourself to get there. Um, and so I set up it. This was like two days ago that I did it. And now I'm like three days in a row back on track, feeling really good, starting to build that momentum again. Um, and so, yeah, I would say the first thing is I, I want to structure my day where I can, I want to do as many things as I can in the morning so that 
if the day gets away from me and I'm just feeling lazy and tired in the evening, I'm not like, oh my God, another day of not doing any of the things I want. So I, I try yeah. to check off some of those boxes sort of first thing in the morning and, and not super early. Like I, I get up at 730 or so, but it gives me like a solid hour and a half of me time to focus on and check off some of those boxes so that wherever the day goes, I'll still be happy with it. Um, a walk, getting outside with pandemic is super important. I'm honestly believe it or not, like probably only like 60, 40, like <laughs> that means 40% of days I literally don't leave my house, which is I need to work on and get better at. But, um, <laughs> I, I like need to get outside or, or I need to get better at getting outside. And so another thing that's important, um, what other things do I do to structure my time? Um, or how structure? are you, what are you, are you, um, are you using apps or mm. notebooks or something for like your to-dos and things? Yeah. Like what's, oh, what's that, that look that, like? So yeah, that's a good one. I use tasks just because it okay. follows me around on Google. It's like plugged into Gmail. It's, it's on my phone. And so anytime I am like, I need to do this thing, I throw it in tasks and I'm like very diligent about checking things off. I don't always assign due dates. If I, if something needs to, if I want to remind myself to do something in a few months, I just put it in the calendar. But everything okay. that goes on tasks needs to be done within, let's call it five days or so. And I'm okay with things lingering on there. Um, and then I become a little task rabbit and I just like get very obsessed with making sure that it's cleaned off every every once in a while. Um, so yeah, tasks is how I do the checklists. Otherwise, like I personally want as few reasons as possible to use my phone. Like finally, just the final... The final straw was finally bought a manual alarm clock because I was using my phone as an alarm <laughs> clock, but now I like yeah. leave my phone out of my room. And I use apps for very, very little. Right now, chess, because I have no one else to play chess with. And that's sort of one of my my habits that I've I've enjoyed and picked up during the pandemic, of course. Not just because of the Queen's. Yeah, yeah, of course it was. Of course it was. Um, so I, I got <laughs> so chess I do on my phone. Everything else I try to really be off my phone. Like I don't have yeah. any of the social apps. I, I like I've got nothing on my phone. My phone is for calling, texting. Um Yes, I'll add tasks, emailing, of course, Slack, unfortunately, um, and then a little bit of fantasy basketball. But like otherwise, yeah. like I, I, yeah, I really try to be off my phone as much as possible. It is so interesting, though, right? Like how just technology, like how it's evolved so much, and like you know, so many of us have worked. In, I mean, you're obviously working directly in technology. I was, I was directly in it as well, and um, and and it's just like we're becoming really specific in in how mm -hmm. we use it which is which is kind of cool like i feel like that is actually the benefit of of yeah. all this innovation because then you you have things obviously like hopper that uh just really make life easy and save you a lot of cash and that's great but like you go in to use it and then get out you, know, you don't yeah. get sucked in the whirlpool sure. or the infinity pool of scrolling for sure for things and, and listen i think that we have to remember how new all this stuff is like the idea of a yeah. phone being in your pocket is like, like when was the first iPhone come out? Like mid 2000s, late 2000s, even Something like, like that. Yeah. I, and so we're, they like, they got us, they, they were winning and slowly, but surely we're going to win our humanity back. But like, <laughs> it's, it's not going to happen immediately. We have, we're like literally fighting against the smartest engineers in the world. Like when, when yeah. you think about when, when your friend tells you they went to Facebook, you're like, that's the Goldman Sachs of the nineties or like, 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 it's just like, so it's, true. it's the pinnacle. And how do we think we're going to win our attention away from literally hundreds of the smartest engineers in the world? Like, don't, don't think that you can win that battle. 
And so what that means is we need to be more deliberate. For me, I just like don't have them on my phone because I've just yeah. realized that I'm going to lose the battle ten, nine times out of 10 and it's not worth the one time out of 10 that I get it. And um, I'm really hopeful that over the next decade, we are going to build a healthier relationship with our phones because I think we've gone way too far to the extreme um, in the last few years. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that mentality is something that will serve us for all technology that is to come, right? So like, again, it's, you know, you're, you're right. There's the, the most talented engineers working to keep us, you know, addicted to these things. But at the same time too, there's the, the onus is on us to, to, to develop that healthy relationship, For sure. right? Like, so if we can, if we can take that responsibility, then, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll win as other things continue to evolve and whatnot. Right. So, yeah, yeah for sure. And like, listen, they're, they're also built, like you said, they're, they're built into phones now too. Like screen time is great. Like I, I generally just like turn do do not disturb from like 10 p.m. till 7 30 or 8 a.m. in the morning yeah. so that when i try to open my phone i am immediately reminded to just put it back down um yeah and i think that again i think as we as customers demand a healthier relationship the tools are going to get built to serve us because at the end of the day like we need to yeah i, I think everything is really demand driven in that way yeah Oh man, well this this was super fun. I mean, I'm really really digging the the whole idea of like the long form ideation practice. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that to our team as well and and see what we can do with that. It's, I think yeah, it's so it's, much it's, good it's an amazing it. it's an amazing thing, and and it takes um it takes a lot of time to do one well, and so I think that's the the brilliant piece of it is like you want to have lots of good ideas. Like I have yeah so, well. I have lots of bad ideas all the time. Rarely do I have a good one. When I have a little block, a little barrier in front of me that says, okay, like if this idea is really good, you need to go through the time and energy to get it on paper and iron it out and to find the data to back it up. You're just creating a, um, a funnel that ensures that only the good ideas really come out of it. And so it, it's totally. a great, yeah, yeah. It's a great mechanism to screen out all the bad ideas that we have. Um, and yeah, try to, try to spend our time and energy doubling down and, and investing in the good ones. Well, and I like, there's a lot of, uh, you know, independent creatives and freelancers and whatnot that listen to this show. Like the thing I like about the practice is we've been talking it from a standpoint of being on a team and, and presenting new ideas like that. But I mean, this setup really works in, in all situations, right? Like, again, like if you're creating a list of all these ideas and you're, I don't know, a freelance photographer and you're thinking up this new project or something, it, it's probably worth that time For to sit sure. down and, and map it out and take two, three pages as like the standard. Exactly. Um, I love yeah. it. Yeah, love no, it. yeah. I'll, 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 every time now when I'm brainstorming ideas with friends, I always say, hey, like this is how we're going to do it. If, if, you, if we think it's good enough, let's let's throw it down on paper. So yeah, um, yeah. that's cool. Take it and run with what's, it. Sure. What's, um, what's one thing you'd, you know, you, you've been thinking about lately or that's been on your mind or something that you think we should be thinking about. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be, uh, anything related to what we, we talked about, but just like leave us with a thought or, uh, an idea that is floating around in your mind, get the, the juices flowing. Yeah. Um, so I just, the, the quote that I heard recently, I think it's, uh, is it, Confucius. Con uh, anyways, it says that, uh, yeah, so it is Confucius. So it's, it's, okay. we, we have two lives and the second begins when we realize we only have one. Nice. And so I, I, I just love that quote. Cause I think 
I, I don't know. I, I'm at least moving on to like the next stage of my life and thinking about kids and, and, and all of those things. And um, I just like want to make sure that you sort of always have in the back of your mind that like, Hey, like you got one life, like li- live it the way you want to. And um, yeah. And so I think that's a hard thing to do because of, for me, it's, it's the timeline piece of it is like when you compromise a little bit of the short term um, to sort of achieve longer term goals versus when you're always just like achieving ex- or doing exactly what you want to do when you want to do it. And, and just finding that balance is, is a really tough one. But I, I just love that quote and, and it resonates. Yeah, that's beautiful. Beautiful way to, to wrap this one up. Well, and that that is a wrap. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, ben, where can listeners connect with you? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I would say like email is a good one. Ben at hopper.com. Pretty easy. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm not great at responding to messages, but you can find me at LinkedIn. Uh, ben Walters, Hopper. You'll, you'll find me in Toronto. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Links are available in our show notes. Remember to subscribe to Eureka if you dig what we're up to. Until next time.